the gospel, gathering, going, generosity, and grace are the main ingredients of ALCF. When these are mixed together, it paints a beautiful picture called the church. In this series, we will unpack each ingredient and explore how it applies to our lives. If you have your Bibles, please meet me in Hebrews chapter 10 for the last installment on our DNA series where we have just been walking through the repackaging of our core values. We've simply called them the five G's and a list of these core values can be found on our website. Um, This is uh, abundant life. This is who we're known for. Uh, If you're new with us and you're wondering uh, what is this place really about, it can be summed up in five things. We're a place that's about the gospel. We want to see people move from death to life. We are creating a culture of grace. We are going to war with legalism. Why? Because Jesus went to war with legalism. We want to take people from any notion of trying to perform. For for some reason, we just have this mentality that if I can do better, if I can have more quiet times, if I can stop shacking up, for whatever reason, God will love me more. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Okay, so we don't have to perform to love us more. Why? Because Christ performed for us on the cross when he died in our place and for our sins. So we want to create a culture of grace, taking people from performing to abiding. We want to be a culture of generosity. And here we're not just talking about finances, although that's part of it, but we're just talking all of life. We're just a generous people because the typical American church uh, really is built for consumers. Feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me. Um, are the, are the seats comfortable enough? Uh, was parking convenient for you enough? Did the pastor preach too long, too short? Um, you know, did he preach what we used to call mini skirts sermons? You know, just long enough to cover the subject, short enough to keep it interesting? Um, you know, is the pastor kind of into that? Uh, and so it just kind of builds this culture of consumers that for some reason I'm the center of the universe and God just kind of uh, orbits around my life. No, we want to create a culture of generosity where we take people from consuming to contributing. Uh, One of the things I'm always teaching my my, my sons, I'm teaching them on manhood, and I give them this little proverb, this this little truism to life, boys take, men give. Boys take, men give. So it's a benchmark as God is growing you in the faith. I now move from a posture of feed me, feed me, feed me to now I move to a posture going, you know what? I think I'm a little spiritually obese here. How can I take all these nutrients that I've been given and give them away to somebody else? That's what maturity looks like, okay? Fourth, uh, our our great Sanjay talked last week about our value of going. We want to go from hearing to proclaiming. I actually want to, want to get into a position where I'm, I'm talking to people about the truth of God's word. Last weekend I was in, um, in New York City and, man, just sitting in an in a Uber ride. The Holy Spirit says, okay, pastor, proclaim. Open up your mouth and tell them about the good news of our, of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Right after service today, uh, my wife and I are going to a, a barbecue. I think we'll be the only Christians in the room. And uh, we are, we're excited to go there. We're just going to have 
fun and build relationships, but we've got a long-term agenda. We want to have fun. We want to build relationships, but I don't want to die and go to heaven and, um, and realize that God had put these people in my lap and I never opened up my mouth. So the mission field ain't in Africa. It's, it's in Cupertino. It's in Saratoga. Wherever you live, that's your mission field. Today, we finish off the series looking at our great value of gathering. We want to move people from isolation to community. I read a phenomenal article this morning about um, the epidemic of loneliness in middle-aged men. It's in the Boston Globe. It's worth your time uh, looking at the epidemic of loneliness in middle-aged men. And pretty much what they're saying is, in general, uh, because we've got this hyper-extended culture, busy, 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 when we get really busy, typically the first thing to go is friendships. So I want to look at this value of community, and I want to, I want to, it's, going to be a, it's going to be a really helpful word that God's going to give us today, because I want to debunk this notion in this digital age uh, that I can podcast church. No, you can podcast teaching, you can't podcast church, because church is not just teaching. You can't podcast community. You can't podcast life on life. And so to help us with this, I want us to look at a powerful passage on community. It's all about community, tucked away in Hebrews chapter 10. Pick me up in verse, in verse 19. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, I mean, this is amazing. So if you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ, you want to know what is the uniqueness of Christianity, here's the uniqueness. Jesus is both our priest and the sacrifice. He's both. Most religions say you have to sacrifice, okay? If you're Jehovah's Witnesses, wake up at ungodly hours on Saturday morning, knock on people's doors, sacrifice, 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 and maybe their God will accept you. Well, God says, I've already made provision for my own sacrifice. I've already paid off your debt. His name is Jesus. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, listen to these phrases, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. God, would you just speak to our hearts today? Uh, Father, inspire us, change the game uh, as it relates to how we view church, how we view relationships, how we view people. Challenge us where appropriate, convict us where appropriate, but ultimately transform us, we pray. We, we need transformation, Lord God. Uh, to the end, Lord God, that I, I pray that you not only speak a personal word to us and what, what, what it looks like for me to have community, but, but that you would speak a corporate word into this church, Abundant Life, and that it would be said of Abundant Life, oh, oh, how they love one another. Oh, that's the place for community. That's the place where people are known and can know. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the running conversations I'm always having in my house is, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to unleash from my house just three warriors. 
I got three boys, Quentin, Miles, and Jaden, um, practically all teenagers. Uh, at the end of this year, that I'll all have teenagers in my house. Uh, that was your cue to say, oh. Um, and so, you know, the, I'm just always talking to them. And one of the things I'm just proactively trying to engage them on is the need to have good conversations and, and to be skilled in it. Um, you, you, you're not going to be able to text your way into a job. You've got to learn how to open up your mouth. Even single ladies, even single millennial ladies, latest studies show, would prefer to be asked out face-to-face or voice-to-voice instead of via social media. That was your millennial single ladies cue to say, amen, pastor, preach it, park right there, don't go no further, all right? But that is, we got, we got to learn the art of communication. So what, what Corey and I do at the dinner table, oftentimes we'll, we'll tell them, uh, okay, there's no social media, there's, there's no phone at the table. In fact, phones get cut off in our house after a certain, uh, certain time. And um, I, I go to each of my teenage boys and I tell them, you've got 90 seconds to tell me how your day went and use the full 90 seconds. It is like cruel and unusual punishment to them, but I want eyeball to eyeball, talk, 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 is what I'm trying to change. Why? Because we live in an era in which the illusion of technology is that we can have intimacy via technology. Now, I'm not here slandering or coming against technology, but the paradox of technology is that it connects you to a whole bunch of people, yet at the very same time, you can be connected but still remain profoundly disconnected. So there's an MIT professor, she wrote a breathtaking book called Alone Together. Her specialty, Dr. Cheryl uh, uh, Cherry Turkle, specializes in researching the fallacy that technology equates to intimacy. Listen to what this MIT professor says. She writes these words. Technology proposes itself as the architect of our intimacies. These days, it suggests substitutions that put the real on the run. Technology is seductive when what it offers meets our human vulnerabilities. And as it turns out, we are very vulnerable indeed. We are lonely but fearful of intimacy. Digital connections and the social robot may offer the illusion of companionship without the demands of friendship. Our networked life allows us to hide from each other even as we are tethered to each other. We'd rather text than talk. Salah. This is the illusion, the paradox of technology. Now, again, not bashing technology. I love technology, especially as an introvert. I mean, I'm on Twitter, and Twitter's like crack to introverts. <laughs> you, mean tell, you mean tell me I can, I can say whatever I want to say, don't have to engage you in conversation. If you say something I don't like, I can block you. Praise God for the block button. <laughs> All right? And, but the danger of that is you can just kind of create this false world where everybody agrees with you, and that's not real life. And I think that's, that's, that's another reason why we're unleashing into the culture fragile people who don't know how to handle people who, who, who don't agree with them. All right? Because social media allows us to construct our own false reality. 
Okay, so I want you to I want you to just get this, and I'm not I'm not critiquing technology or social media. Social media isn't arrogant. Social media is amoral. People are arrogant, and so if you're arrogant and you're on social media, it's just going to work its way out through social media. If you're humble and you're on social media, your platform will be humble. So this is not anti-social media. Use it. It's a wonderful, wonderful platform. I actually think if Jesus was here today, he would use social media as a tool to advance the gospel. Although I don't think he'd be Instagramming, like he wouldn't be at the, uh, in the upper room, Instagramming, ooh, look at what I ate for dinner. Um, I think he'd use it to advance the purposes of God in this generation. Don't know how I got off on all that. Inching towards your neighborhood, one of the things I want you to understand, though, the reason why technology and this kind of technology is so, um, is something we are flocking to is because you and I live in, in, what, in what sociologists call uh, an expressive individualistic society where the highest value is self-determinism. The idea here of self-determinism is I am the center of my world. I decide, I determine what's best for me. That's nothing new. By the way, we see this in the book of Judges, where it says in the book of Judges, each man d did what was right in his own eyes. So that, this, is, this is an old thing. It's just rearing its head as never before through the medium of technology. Now, now there's, there's many of you here today, you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, and I bet you've probably said something to this effect, or you, you've got some friends who've said something to this effect, uh, where, where we, we hear people who don't know Christ all the time saying things like, um, I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious. Ever heard that before? I'm spiritual, I'm just not religious. Pretty much what they're saying is, I'm into God or a higher power, um, but I'm just not into church or the institutions. In, 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 in other words, I, I get to decide what a relationship with God looks like. That's self-determinism. That's, that's, that's one of the major values of our society. And at the same time, though, it, it goes against this emphasis on individualism, self-determinism, and, and the proliferation of the paradox of technology that allows me to be connected but disconnected. It doesn't scratch the deepest longings of our soul, which is for community. Now I'm at your neighborhood. Several years ago, uh, a great scholar by the name of Gilbert Balzikian, he came out with a little book called Community 101. And one of the powerful things he just says in this book is, all of us have a longing to know and to be known. All of us, and again, th this, this doesn't matter wh whether or not you grew up in the church, whether or not you're a Christian, or, or whether or not you, you've never come to church, and, or maybe this is your first Sunday. All of us, a part of what it means to be made in the Imago Dei, the image of God, means at the core of who I am, I have a longing to know and to be known. I have a longing for community. Uh, this is a good thing. The book of Genesis tells us, even before sin enters into the world, that God looked at Adam one day as he was headed home at the end of another long day of work by himself, and God peers over the balcony of heaven, and he says these words, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good. The book of Proverbs says it this way, he who isolates himself is a fool. 
In this article in the Boston Globe where they're talking about this epidemic among middle-aged men called isolation, they actually say that health studies are now revealing that isolation is a bigger killer than actually cardiovascular disease and obesity. Living an isolated life is actually, the science is telling us, detrimental to our health. A part of what it means to live a flourishing life is that I am connected to other people in deep and meaningful ways. I'm not talking about the amount of friends you have on Facebook or the amount of likes you get on Instagram or the amount of followers you have on Twitter. I'm talking about show enough friends, face-to-face friends. It's at this point, though, where we experience a tension. Community, people, friendship is both our greatest longing and our greatest frustration. People, friendships, it's both our greatest longing and our greatest frustration. It's it's our longing. Part of what it means to be created in the image of God, it, it means we long for community. Why? Because the one who created us, I want you to wrap your mind around this concept, the one who created us is the one who lives in community. Theologians call it the Trinity. All the Trinity is is an eternal community between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If anyone could have said, I can do this by myself, it's God. And yet what the Trinity tells us is God fundamentally says, I want to live in rich, vibrant relationships with other people. And so from from eternity past to eternity present and eternity future, God has always lived in community. When Jesus comes to earth, the first thing he does is he forms a community. He picks 12 men and they experience community with each other. In fact, when we see Jesus in the gospels, most of the time it's in social settings. Very few times is he isolated or alone. He's at dinner parties, enjoying good food and good drink. He's in boats with his community. He is um, on the sides of mountains teaching his community. He is in gardens like the Garden of Gethsemane, praying with his community. Jesus lives in community. It's at point that I really think the, um, uh, the, the, the Renaissance painters have done us a disservice because typically the picture they paint of Jesus is this very stoic man. I think if you just actually read the gospel, the predominant picture of Jesus is a man laughing, smiling, enjoying. Why? Because he's with friends. It's a picture of community. But community is also our deepest frustration. Why? Now, I want you to write this down or make a note of it. Here's why community is our deepest frustration. It's our deepest frustration profoundly because it's impossible to have real community, real friendship, unless that person you're in community with is a sinner. And of course, we're all sinners. And here's what you fundamentally need to understand about sin. Here's here's, here's the punchline. This is what I want you to write down. Sin is never just personal. It's social. Sin, fundamentally, it rips at the fabric of community. In my house, I tell my boys, um, there's a couple things. We're going to have a great time, guys. 
until you're 18, and after that we'll continue to have a great time. But you're out of my house, and so we'll just figure that out. But 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 here's here's some basic guidelines in my house. Um, one, if you really want to tick me off, uh, be disrespectful not to your mom but to my wife. That's how I posture it. She's my wife. It's your mom, but she's my wife. I knew her before you came along. And I play favorites in this house. That's the queen. I play favorites with the queen, okay? But here's the second thing I tell them. Here's the second thing I tell them. Um, If you're going to lie, I I, I hate lying, but if you're going to lie, make it your best. (laughs) I mean, you stick to that. Come hell or high water, you, you get an Academy Award for it, okay? But, but no, seriously, as I tell them, I, says, I take them to Proverbs, and, I, and I, I say, you know why God says lying is an abomination to him? Because God loves us so much, he understands you can't have a relationship with a liar. That's why he hates it. It is impossible to have a relationship with a liar. First John says it this way. We, we, can't, we, we can't walk in darkness while God's walking in the light and we have fellowship. Doesn't work. We got to walk in the light. You know what it means to walk in light? We walk in truth. We, 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 we just got to walk in truth. That's how that thing happens. That's how community happens. So, so the reason why community is so frustrating is because we're sinners. And the fundamental thing about sin is it's social. Again, I, just, I, I don't want to overwhelm you here, but, but I could take you to, to Genesis, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, in fact, at the end of Genesis chapter 2, it, it says of Adam and Eve that they were naked and unashamed. The idea there is not just physical, it's comprehensive. The idea there is they were they were. They were vulnerable with each other. There was transparency. They were authentic. No hiding. No hiding. Completely naked and vulnerable. Now, what, what, when sin comes in the world, what's the first thing they do? They go to the you know, local Louis Vuitton store, buy some designer figs, and they hide. They hide from God. They hide from one another. So the vulnerability is gone. Now there's hiding, and their marriage, instead of oneness, there's a breach in it, and what brought it on is sin. Let me give you one more biblical example. On the cross, one of the last things Jesus says on the cross is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the most painful experience for Jesus about the cross. I think it's more painful than the thorns in his head, more painful than the sword in his side. It was that moment where God literally turned his back on Jesus. And for the first time ever, there was a breach in community. Why? Because you got it. The sins of the world, your sin and my sin, were placed on Jesus. And the holiness of God could not be compromised. So there was a breach in community. Why is community our greatest longing and our greatest frustration? Answer, sin. Community is everything. I mean, some of you will agree with this. You can live in the worst city in the world. You can live in Nazareth. But if you've got great friendships there, it's the best city in the world. Now, the the opposite is true. You can live in the best city in the world. But if you're isolated and lonely, it's the worst city. Why? It's all about community. So I want us to come to this text. I, 
I want abundant life. I want our, our reputation to not be about me, who's the pastor. I want us to be known among other things of that's the church you go to if you really want to find real deal relationships. That's what I want. So I'm going to press into this. How does this happen? Now we come to our text. I want to give you three quick points. It's, the, it's what I'm calling the ABCs of community. We're, we're unpacking our value of gathering as we come to this text. Um, and, and our text is all about community. If you just notice the, the three phrases that just came up, he says three times, let us, let us, let us. It's all about community. Um, and then he says later on, uh, look, stop forsaking the meeting, of, uh, the meeting together. The idea of the word meeting, it's the, it's the Greek word episynagogue, and it doesn't just speak of a collection of individuals who are coming to hear some, you know, good music, a good sermon, and then leave. Now, that's not church. That's a subway car in New York. You ever been on subway in New York? People packed into this place close you know, we're, 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 at times you're, you're packed on, on one another. My wife and I lived there for over a year, man. It just, if you catch that subway anytime between 7.30 and 9 a.m., you are packed. Although I'd rather be on the one train in New York than the 280 here, but that's another story. But, 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 but here you are, packed, packed, packed. And there's people from every ethnicity, walk of life. There's, there's millionaires and homeless people on this subway. But here's the phenomenon. They don't talk to each other. They're, they're close to each other headed in the same direction, but there's no sharing of life. And tragically, what I've just described is a whole bunch of churches. Sit on the same row, come to church, take some notes, but you don't know and you're not known. There's no real sharing of life. So how do we rectify that? As we come to our text, our text begins with a, I mean, he comes out with a left hook out of nowhere. And it seems as if, as he's opening, that what he's talking about in verses 19 and 22 have nothing to do with community, but it has everything to do. I say he, when in reality, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Could have been a male, could have been a female. Scholars to this day, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. What we do know is whoever wrote the book of Hebrews was profoundly knowledgeable and steeped in ancient Judaism. If you read through the book of Hebrews, it's just, this person knows. I mean, they have a PhD in the temple. They know their stuff. We see this right away because right away he starts talking about this thing called the holy place. Now, the holy place, you might also call it the holy of holies. Uh, what the Oval Office is to the President of the United States and the White House, the holy of holies is to God and the temple. It, it, is, it was, it was his, his private hanging out space. Th that's where he dwelt. That's where he decided to, to incarnate and infuse himself here on earth. Now, nobody could just walk up into the Holy of Holies. Nobody could go there but one person. It's called the high priest. And the high priest could go, only go in there on one day out of the year, Yom Kippur. Now, trust me, you didn't want that job. You didn't want that job. Why? Because that was the residence of God, the Holy of Holies, if you thought a, a sinful thought, if you had a lustful thought, if you committed sin, you were struck down dead. And, and, and I know, 
I wouldn't last 30 seconds because I'd go into that bad boy going, don't, don't sin, don't sin, don't sin. Oops, dang, sin, boom. Right? Because you're, you're, so, so, but, 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 but here's the thing. The, the Jews are like, okay, if he's the only one who can go in there, Day of Atonement, and he sins and he dies, who's going to get him out? So here's what the Jews said. The Jews hooked up this thing where they decided to attach bells around the hem of his robe so that as he's moving from place to place in the Holy of Holies, they're, they're hearing the bells, and they know they're good. They didn't hear the bells. They knew there was trouble, but they knew they couldn't go in and get them, so they tied a rope around his ankle while they waited outside. Can you imagine going to work with a rope around your ankle and bells? Because it's all about what happens in the event of your demise. You didn't want that job. But in our text, you know what the writer of Hebrews says? When Jesus Christ died, in fact, earlier he would say, the veil of the temple was torn in two. That veil that separated the holy of holies from everything else, it has been torn. And therefore, if you've got the blood of Jesus applied to your hearts, you don't have to be a high priest. You and I can rush in at any given moment and have unlimited access to the God of the universe. Are you kidding me? You know who in Scripture would kill to have the access you have? Moses, Abraham, David, Hannah, Ruth. Nobody in the Old Testament prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus has the VIP access that you have. I mean, to frame this a little bit, I mean, just whoever your favorite president is ever. I just, just write it down. Imagine, imagine that president says to you, you know, I, I just like you. I sense there's chemistry here. Why don't you come see me anytime at the Oval Office? In fact, he turns to his administrative assistant and goes, this person doesn't need an appointment. Whenever you see them, just send them on back. Whatever I'm doing, I'll stop and I'll listen to them. In fact, I, 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 I want them to talk to me about some things. And I, I, I want to just share some of my experience. Whenever you want, come on in. There's a great picture here. You can put it up on the screen. Uh, one of my favorite presidents ever is JFK. And that's his little boy, JFK Jr. It, there's all kinds of pictures of him in his dad's office. Guess what? I bet you he just barged right on in. Didn't ask. He could have been, you know, on the phone working out the Cuban Missile Crisis, and little John John just barges right on in. You know why he could enter boldly with confidence? Because that's his daddy. You know what the writer says? You ain't got to creep in. You can enter boldly with confidence because that is your daddy. Let me make one more thing before I show you the connection between this and community. See, I, I think you've been duped. If you're, if you're a Christian, you've been duped. And what probably happened to you early on when you got saved, somebody probably told you, here's how this thing works. You need to spend a quiet time, and that quiet time is about 30 minutes in the morning. Just read you a couple verses, pray, and that's it. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach quiet times. The Bible, and I know it seems like I'm splitting hairs here, but it's very important. The Bible actually teaches something called abiding. It, it, is, it is constant 
It is me constantly going in and out of the Oval Office of the universe throughout the course of the day. Now, why do I need to do that, practically speaking? Here's why I need to do it. I don't know why you need to do it. The reason why I need to do it is because God tends to leak out of my life throughout the course of the day. What does that mean? I get up early in the morning, read my Bible, pray. It's rich. I mean, I'm worshiping. It's rich. Sitting in my chair there in our living room in our home, and it's, it's rich. I'm filled, 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 filled. Get finished, you know, worshiping. And, 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 and I go to the refrigerator to get me that perfect glass of orange juice, and it's gone. A little God done leaked out. I now get in the car to go to work. Driving down the 280, someone cuts me off. A little bit more God leaks out. Get to work, someone steps on my shoe, or I get a bad review on the job, or, you know, there's some people headaches. I get, and the next thing, I leak, 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 and I come home cussing and fussing. What I constantly need throughout the course of my day is just going in and out of the Oval Office of the universe, abiding in Christ, taking maximum, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, just getting as much of that access as possible. That's what it means. Now, why is this important when it comes to community? Here's the left hook. He says, you have unlimited access. The whole thing is about community. Draw near. The idea there, it's, a, it's, it's present tense. Keep drawing near. Keep on in. Why? Because here's the principle to community. When our vertical relationship with God is flourishing, when my vertical community with God is flourishing, my horizontal relationships with others will flourish. The number one asset I bring to friendships in my life is my walk with Jesus Christ. When that's off, everything else is off. Men, you understand this. Married men, you understand this. You've heard it. Happy wife, happy life. Okay? When mama's happy, everybody else is happy. When mama's not happy, nobody's happy. When daddy's happy, who cares? All right? Now, what's the idea here? You get the priority relationship right, there's a domino effect. My, my, my wife and I just invite you into our, into our own marriage. You know, we go through those ornery seasons in marriage. We just get on each other's nerves. And we'll oftentimes say to each other during these ornery seasons, it's not helpful in the moment. I'm not recommending you doing it, but we'll just, ornery season, we'll often say to each other, you haven't had your time with the Lord lately, have you? It's not helpful, okay? But here's what we're saying. We're off, so one of us with God must be off. You want to have great relationships? Maximize the vertical access you have with the God of the universe. And the trickle-down effect is you will have flourishing horizontal relationships. You can't be carnal and have great relationships. Second thing, though, he says... He says in verse 23, after dealing with the importance of access, now he gets to the importance of beliefs. Verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The idea of, of hold fast, it's the idea of commitment. He said, you, we need to have an unwavering, unflinching commitment. But commitment to what? The idea here is the confession. The idea of the confession are the essentials of the faith. 
This is very important when we talk about community. If you're here, you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, uh, I'm not ostracizing you. In fact, any kind of community, whether or not we talk about fraternities, sororities, whether or not we talk about um, uh, businesses, organizations, churches, they all function on this principle. There must be mutual commitment and and agreement from their constituency to hold fast, not to everything, but to the essential things. To the essential things. So what does this look like? The United States of America is what it looks like. They came up with a community framing document called the Constitution. In order to be a citizen of this nation, you've got to hold fast to that document. And that document says certain things like, here's what we're about. We're about giving people the right to the pursuit of happiness. We're about the separation of church and state. We're about the freedom of speech. This is how this community works. And you hold fast to these things. You don't hold fast to these things. There are legal ramifications. If you're married, if you're married, when you exchange vows, what you essentially said is, here are our core commitments, and we're going to hold fast to these things. For better for, well, for, for better for worse, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Every marriage that breaks down is fundamentally one individual at least saying, I'm not going to hold fast to our core commitments. That's how this thing works. Uh, in our own house, came home a couple weeks ago, checked in with my wife. I could tell my wife was a little bit exasperated because our, our kids, man, they're just... Um, whining about chores. I know that doesn't happen in your house. Whining about chores. I sat my boys down. I, I said, I said, so, so tell me about, about this. Well, dad, you know, I, don't, I just don't understand cleaning up my room, man. It's fine with me. I don't know why mom's bothered with it. I'm good with it. And you know, and uh, well, what about taking out the trash? I just don't feel like taking out the trash, dad. I said, okay, let me, let me just, let me just stop you right there. I said, okay. Um, you don't have to take out the trash anymore. Really? Yeah but you will start paying the mortgage. (laughs) What are you talking about? I can't pay the mortgage. You're going to pay the mortgage. I I literally showed them how much our mortgage costs. You should have seen their eyes. You're going to pay the mortgage. Oh, and by the way, um, you're going to help out with the groceries as well. I I can't pay the groceries. Oh, yeah. And by the way, your athletic fees, you you like playing ball? There's fees involved in that. You're going to pay those fees as well. I I can't do any of that. I says, oh, well, if, if your obedience is about how you feel, you wouldn't have a house to live in. You wouldn't have food to eat, and you wouldn't have any kind of sports league to, pay on, to, to play on, because I don't feel like pay, paying the mortgage all the time. <laughs> Do you see me whining about paying the mortgage? I don't feel like buying groceries. I don't feel like... They're like, Dad, we're good. Good? Okay. Now... This is how this family works. I do my part, you do your part, and don't whine about it, don't complain about it. You good? Good, all right. What are we saying here? There's core beliefs we have as a family. And I need you to hold fast to these core beliefs. This is how this thing works. Now, how does, what are our core beliefs here? If you want to look at a community shape, shaping, what our, what, what, what our constitution is, uh, how, how it relates to how we're to function and relate to one another, go to the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7 says, here's how kingdom community works. One of the things he says, don't judge one another. You know what it means to judge one another? It means to slap a label on someone you don't know. You don't know their heart. You don't know their motives. You just come in and you just judge 
if you just come in and judge, that's going to rip at the fabric of community. Don't judge one another. I, I love how the Sermon on the Mount, um, it starts out. The very first thing Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, round about verse 2 or 3, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? Be humble. The way community works and flourishes and thrives, you got to come with humility. I don't come to other people kind of going, how can I use them to pull off a better me? I come in humility. In fact, that's Philippians chapter 2, esteeming the needs of others as being more significant than your own. That's how community works. I think maybe a year ago, I told you that one of my favorite stories is Muhammad Ali. Muhammad Ali's on an airplane one time, and they're experiencing a little bit of turbulence. And the captain says, I need everybody to move to your seats and fasten your seatbelt. We're experiencing turbulence. And, um, and uh, the, the flight attendant notices Muhammad Ali hadn't fastened his seatbelt. She says, Mr. Ali, please fasten your seatbelt. Captain says, we're experiencing turbulence. You need to fasten your seatbelt. To which he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. To which she said, Superman don't need no airplane. Now please fasten your seatbelt. <laughs> You know, I love Ali. He was one of my favorites. He was absolutely one of my favorites. But you know when he died, he was on his fourth marriage? You cannot be an arrogant, narcissist, world-revolves-around-me person and have a great marriage or great friendships. that work. So how does this whole thing kick off? Jesus says, here's how it kicks off. Be humble. And then he gives us the golden rule later on. I want you to um, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Have you literally tried that for 24 hours, by the way? I challenge you. Try that for 24 hours, and about hour number six, you'll probably just peter out. It's impossible unless you're just living filled with the Holy Spirit. But this is what it means. The only way I can do this stuff is, again, I'm maximizing access. I'm in and out of the presence of God. I'm filled with his spirit. I'm leaning on him. And now what happens? My marriage is better. My friendships are better. Uh, the stuff that's happening in the dorm is better because I'm access. And then we're, we're holding on to core beliefs. Now let's go home on this. Finally, he goes, let's talk some about community. Look at what he says in verse 24. I want you to fasten your seatbelts here. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you, as you see the, the day drawing near. Let, 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 let me just say this. Um, no, I'll leave that alone. I'll leave that alone. So he says, look, I want you to consider. Here's how community works. You, you know the easy thing to do? The, the idea of the word consider, it means I want you to take intentional thought into how to build other people up. Intentional thought. I want you to be in community, analyzing, investigating. Uh, I wasn't here last Sunday. I was uh, preaching in Queens. Uh, Miles and I left uh, a couple days early on Thursday. I just looked at my boy and I said, man, we, we just need a play date. So come on, go with me to New York. So he came with me to New York, and we landed on Thursday afternoon. We checked into the hotel. Um, I took him to the best cookie spot in New York, a place called Insomnia. They call it Insomnia because they'll serve you. They'll deliver you fresh-baked cookies at 3 a.m. if you want them to. Do not die and go to heaven without going to Insomnia. But anyways, if you feel the death angel coming, tell him to hold off so you can go to Insomnia. So I take him there. Uh, then we hop on the train. We go into Midtown. I, I take him to this great restaurant, order him his favorite thing, and then as he's eating, I'm just speaking words of life over him. 
I'm just, I'm just, Miles, there's an anointing on your life. And Miles, I just see some things. And Miles, here's what I'm envisioning for you. And here's what you're just kind of watching. Just watch this little 14-year-old kid, man, just getting pumped up and pumped up and pumped up. Now, you shouldn't clap for that at all. Why? Because that's what dads should do with their sons. I intentionally gave thought into how I can use my words to build him up. You know what the writer of Hebrews is saying? I want that same thought to folk who don't share your physical DNA. Here's what you need to understand. You don't have to be a thoughtful person to be a critic. You don't have to be a thoughtful person to be a critic. And we all know people like that. They're, they're what I call the yeah buts. You could talk to them like today, perfect day. Yeah, but did you see that cloud about a couple miles away? I'm worried. It just, it just, that just deflates your spirit. Have intentional thought as it relates to encourage. You know what encourage means? It literally means to infuse with courage, to strengthen, to put wind in their sails. That's what it means. And honestly, he's saying this. I want you to consider how to stir up. You know what the word stir up means? It, it, it was used one other time in the New Testament when Paul and Barnabas got into a sharp disagreement with each other. That word stir up, it means to get on each other's nerves, to irritate, to provoke. But watch it. In this context, it's for a good outcome. Irritate each other for love and good works. So I come to the relationship and I come with an agenda. My agenda is I want to see you fly at the highest altitude in Christ that he's got for you. And God wants to use me to get you to fly a little higher. So that I believe that God has put me in your life for a reason. And at the end of our friendship, you ought to be able to say you're a better person because I was in your life. That's what friendships are about. My wife, she's, she's been with me for 18 years. She's been with me longer than she was in the home she grew up with. Now, if my wife could sit here and say, I ain't much better, it's a waste. Fundamentally, she should be able to say, I am a better woman because, Brian, you're in my life. That's what friendship, friendship is about. Now, I want you to think about your friendships as we close. Every friend, every, every one of us has two needs. This is how you determine who your friends are. We fundamentally have a need to be known and a need to be challenged. This is the grid for your friends. All of us have a need to be known and a need to be challenged. Here's the problem. If someone challenges you, but they don't know you, that's harsh and abrasive and judgmental and probably won't be received. But if someone knows you and won't challenge you, that's weak, that's spineless, that's passive, and in both cases, they're not really your friends. Here's the visual. What you need, what you and I need is this. what we need. It's what we need. 
And if you don't have someone you can tell anything to, and they say, I got you, but I'm going to kick you in your hind parts too. It's not your friend. A little while ago, one of my closest friends in life, man, closest friends, he loves Jesus. You ever had a friendship and all of a sudden you just got, it just got weird. Like, I don't know how it got weird. It just got weird. Anybody ever have, have that happen to you before? It just, it just kind of got weird. Like, he, he used to call me back all the day. He, he wasn't returning my phone calls. If he was, it was like weeks later. When we'd get on the phone, it was like this superficial, shallow talk. And um, I'll never forget calling one day. And he was, he's, he's, he's out, of, out of town. And, and he was in the parking lot about to go work out. I called him, I said, man, what's up? I says, you know, I'm not going to do the macho thing here. I'm just going to go there. You're kind of hurting my feelings. He said, what are you talking about? I said, don't give me this what are you talking about thing. You're, you, something's up. And then maybe it's the Holy Spirit. I said, are you seeing another woman? And he broke down and started crying. And he confessed to this adulterous relationship. I said to him, first thing I said to him is, I got you. I ain't turning my back on you. Ride or die. I got you. I says, by the time we get finished walking through this, you may not like me, but I got you. A couple days later, check back in with him. Um, you know, I, I told him, I said, I want to call you. You pick up the phone. A couple days later, called him. Um, and man, he's, he hadn't cut it off, hadn't cut it off, hadn't cut it off. He goes, well, it's kind of messy. She, she works for me. I said, fire her. Well, we got HR stuff that we got to deal with. I said, you didn't think about that before. Sends a mess, fire her. Called a transition, called a resignation. She can't work for you anymore. He fires her. I said, oh, by the way, you need to tell your wife. Exactly, there's silence. I said, you have been living in deception and a lie with your wife for about a year now. I said, you, you need to tell her. Check back in with him a couple days later. Ah, I hadn't told her. Just kind of not, not really good time. A couple days later, ah, I hadn't told her. I said, here's the deal. In three days, I'm calling her. I said, I told you, you ain't going to like me. I got you. I got you. Known and challenged. This is the real deal. This is the real deal. He tells her it's messy. But a couple weeks ago, he tells her, he says, man, I just want to thank you. He says, I'm a different man and I'm a better man. And my marriage is as, is as good as it's ever been. And I never would have gotten there unless you loved me enough to not just tell me what I wanted to hear, but I needed to hear. Now watch this, stop right there, stop right there, stop right there. You only can do that to someone, watch it, when you understand that what I'm doing to them and what I need them at times to do to me is what God has already done for me. God knows you and he challenges you. God knows everything about you. 
In fact, before he got with you, he knew everything you would ever do. And he says, I still want you. So when I am secure in that love, when I understand that God is ride or die with me, come hell or high water, now I'm free and secure enough to go places with you that you may not like because I'm not resting our friendship on whether or not you like or accept me because if he likes and accepts me, that's good enough. Who do you have in your life that knows you and challenges you? Who can you call? I said, man, I just got to tell you, 4.30 last Friday, it got a little out of hand. And I crossed some lines. And they can say, I got you. But now let's talk about it. This is what we're pushing for here at Abundant Life. I, I don't have time to deal with fluff. God bless our growth groups, but I don't have time to sit into something that's going to stay at a surfacy marginal level. I, I, I need to be challenged. I, I, I need for someone to do to me what God did to Adam. Adam, where are you? You're acting weird. We used to walk together all the time. Where are you? Where are you? Let me pray for us. Known and challenged. Father, we sit under this word today. We sit under the weight of it. You say to us what you said to Adam, it is not good that you are alone. Free us from the illusion of technology that would have us to believe, Lord God, that with all these names in our smartphones and all these followers on Twitter and all these likes on Instagram, that somehow, some way, I've got a lot of real friends. Father, we need people in our lives like David had with Jonathan. That when David found himself in trouble, the Bible says that Jonathan went and encouraged him in the Lord. God, we need that. So, Lord God, would you bless us with that? We, we want to be a place known for gathering where people go from isolation to community. Real community. Would you bless us with that, we pray. In Jesus' name.